Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and I want to thank you so much for clicking in to, with me today or tuning in or what I always say. I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm used to the radio show, tuning in at the radio show. But anyway, thank you for being here with me today. I greatly, greatly appreciate it, and it's an honor that I do not take lightly that you're going to spend the next maybe an hour or a little bit more with me. So I, I uh, that is a blessing to me. So hopefully everything is going well for you in your life and in your operation, and it's uh, the time of year for, uh, for growers' meetings, right? And I'm going to talk about that in a couple of minutes because I, since we got together last week, I did attend a growers' meeting, and then hopefully this week I'm going to go out to uh, Messix Farm Machinery, and uh, I always called it Messix, and I did a podcast with them on the road podcast, and the father, Mister Messick, it was a, uh, which whatever I mean, I I got a hard skin. So it's not, my mother used to say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And right in the right in the middle of the show, the father, I guess he has no filter, he goes, it's mezix, not mezix. So I was actually uh, a little bit embarrassed during that. But uh, so whatever, I mean, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have corrected me. I'm not pompous in saying that. But, you know, you could have start, he could have done it a little bit different way than, uh, than going six instead of six. It's you're pronouncing it wrong. So I guess that's maybe when you get to be a little bit, uh, whatever, you, a little bit successful, you lose some of your finesse, right? So who knows, whatever. And I'm not saying that I never, never did anything like that in my life. But um, if I did, I apologize for it. I don't think I did, though. But, uh, so I'm going to go out to their open house this coming week. Uh, well, actually, uh, this week that the podcast is going to drop. And then I'm looking forward to, in a quasi-way, and I'll explain that, to going to the, uh, to the National Farm Machinery Show in Kentucky. And that's going to be in February. And then I'm going to come back from that, God willing, and then go to the New York State Farm Show up in Syracuse. And why I say I'm looking at that in a, in, in a quasi way is that, honestly, I don't know, I must be getting, I don't know what I'm getting. <laughs> so who knows? But uh, you know what I think is, I think it's a combination of the roads are so busy today and uh, the drivers are so uncourteous but that ride from uh let's say from dayton ohio down to louisville is probably about 165 170 170 miles and it stinks i mean you're going through you're going through dayton you're going through cincinnati and from cincinnati down then there's, there's traffic going to lexington but you kind of you 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 don't go through there. You don't go through the, go through the cities the, right through the center of them. You kind of bypass them, but you know the bypass years ago versus the bypass today is not the same thing. And uh, this it's a really I mean pardon my pardon my French the ride sucks, and 
So down to Louisville, then when you get into the Louisville area, and it's like anything. I mean, I if you listen to the, to the show when I said I went to the National Farm Machinery Show last year, I mean, I, the show is a fantastic show. The people are fantastic. But I said that last, that, that 164, 170 miles before you get there stinks. And uh, the road network is huge there. I was surprised when I went there last year. And it's like six lanes on each side, and it's... Uh, People are going 80, 90 miles an hour, and uh, it's just uh, trying to find where the hotel is. And so it's like I say, it's not that aspect of it is not is not is not fun. And as I started to say, is that I'm not saying that that I'm some kind of uh, uh, wimp or something, but I don't know. Things are just different today, and it's I guess it's the busyness and the. Uh, attitude of the people or their uh, aggressiveness when they're driving and uh, so i mean i would rather go into i hate new york city but i'd rather go into new york city because at least the traffic goes like eight miles an hour <laughs> so it's yeah it's frustrating because it takes you i heard when i was having breakfast the other day the news came out of new york it was uh, six it was 59 minutes to go 4.2 miles they were saying so i mean that's frustrating on its own but you don't at 80 miles these people going 80 90 miles an hour and that they're, they're, they're door to door i mean uh, and uh, you don't know where you're going so you see an exit and says you got to get off over here and they had a lot of right lane exits there on that route from uh, from dayton down to louisville is, and I, I'm a right-hand guy. I mean, I'm going to stay in the right-hand lane. That's the proper driving protocol. And uh, then, you know, it because exit only, and they don't give you much of a warning, and nobody wants to let you over. So, like I say, whatever. I mean, in the scheme of life, it's absolutely nothing. I guess it's like giving birth to a baby, right? Once the baby is bouncing on the woman's belly, she forgets about the pain. So once you get to Louisville to the, and get into that machinery, sure, you forget about what a crap ride it is. But anyway, but maybe I'm just getting to be a, a, a I don't know, old man or uh, have no tolerance for anything. And uh, but it just seems that that it's just a, a very very aggressive, very busy, and you wouldn't think that for that area, but it's it is. And like I say, New York City. Not that I go into there often. I haven't been there for years, but. I'm not saying that the people are wonderful there by no means, but it's like everything is in slow motion, not 80 miles an hour. And then I'll go up to the New York State Farm Show and uh, maybe fit something else in in between. But to get back to uh, to, to growers' meetings, and uh, you know, I con- I contemplated saying this on the you know over the airwaves or whatever internet waves or not, but uh, I went to. But I decided, you know, whatever, you're my family, so I'm going to share it with you. And, uh, I mean, it's not, it's by no means any any earth-shattering deal. But whenever I go to a seminar or to a workshop, since I was, since, since I was a young man, I always sit in the first row. And the reason why I sit in the first row is because, number one, I have bad eyes, and I want to be able to see, I want to be able to hear, and I want to be able to, to glean everything that I can from this workshop, whether whether it was for, you know when I was in the automobile industry or in agriculture, whatever, I always sit right up front, and you never have trouble getting a seat up front because everybody wants to sit in the back. 
And that's my attitude is if I'm spending the time, money, and effort to come to a workshop or growers meeting, which are basically, I guess, quasi-workshops, and uh, that I, I want to be able to learn. I mean, I'm there to learn. That's what life is about. And that's what this show is about, and that's what the website is about, my website, and that is what the Farm Machine Redigest Radio is about. So I'm, in, I'm just interjecting that as a segue into what I'm going to say. So I went to the grow, the grow Mark FS meeting, and in New Jersey, well, I guess in most places, well, in New Jersey, I should say, in Pennsylvania, you have to attend a certain uh, caliber of meeting to obtain the points to maintain your pesticide license from the state, from the DEP. So um, so it's to buy agricultural chemicals or anything, you need to have a pesticide license. And I have what's called a private applicator's pesticide license. So, and they use the term pesticide. So uh, I, guess they, I guess when you take the class and take the test initially, anything that they, they well, New Jersey just put everything together as a pesticide. So what happens is that so if i want to buy even a uh of a fungicide or something it's considered a pesticide but let me not get off on a tangent here and you have and they have two categories there's core there's core and uh uh i forgot what the other category is but anyway so you have to get these points you have to the license is good for five years and you have to get so many points you have to take so many classes during that five year core and category that's what it is and uh to and maintain your license and if you have and they register that with the dep and then if you have enough point have enough enough points then your license automatically renews if you don't have enough points then you have to go take this grueling and it is a grueling test and it's only given at certain times a year and if it's so it could be a nightmare if you don't if your license uh, times out so anyway now before they used to have somebody come from the new jersey the dep and give a little bit little talk for the points and nice guy but i mean it was totally useless i mean and they had him they had him give the give the talk after lunch and hit it was i mean it was as boring as anything you gleaned absolutely nothing for it all you know put on your personal protective equipment label your bottles put this i mean it was it was just it was just common sense so anyway and it was the same seminar every year but you needed the points so that you had a captive audience and then i guess the good thing one good thing about covid was that this fell apart and they don't did didn't do these anymore and they kind of just grandfathered you in for that year for points whatever you, and uh, we'll look the other way because they canceled everything and i guess when covid is over is over or whatever is to me it never existed but anyway uh they had this thing where they don't have the guy from the DEP come that they have the people from um, the the chemical companies come so like uh, when the seed companies and what have you the agricultural what they call input suppliers come and they give a talk and but the what the organization has to do and I'm doing this through or attending it through Growmark FS which is a large corporation this is and they have two branches near me but anyway uh, and they have to apply to the state. And then the state approves their program, and then you receive you attend. You the the sign in sheet is at the end, so you have to go through the whole the whole class, which is from uh, nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. So anyway, so I'm just giving you background for those who don't know. So the, the important take home message here is that 
I ask questions because I'm there to learn. But I've given seminars for 30 years, or close to it, or maybe 30 years. I don't want to, wow, well, let's say 30 years, whatever, maybe a little bit more. We'll leave it at that. I was a young, 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 young man when I gave my first seminar in the automobile industry. And uh, the thing is that when you give a seminar, you are there when you're, when you're, you're the people are there to learn they're not there just to, to to warm a seat and most of the time when you're giving a seminar that it's almost impossible to get any any feedback from the audience and i used to say well look either you guys know know everything and then if you know everything then i will sit down and i'll be more than happy for you to teach me or you're so confused that you don't even know where to begin to ask and the third the third element is that a lot of people are shy. I don't know what it is. So shy or what have you. So ultimately, no one asks any questions in these seminars. And and they have the different people. Let's say this, this person comes up from BASF, and this one comes up from new, new, uh, uh, a microbiology company, whatever, I can't even think of the name of it, not Nutrien. But uh, anyway, so there are about six or seven people, and I ask questions. But to get back to what I was trying to say is that and I'm saying this humbly, is I know how to ask a question. So I'm not rambling. I'm concise. I'm to the point. I My sentence structure is very tight, and it has to do with what that person is talking about at that time. So it's not like, uh, for, for instance, that to make an automotive analogy, that I'm giving a, a seminar, that someone's giving a seminar on a carburetor, and then you raise your hand and go, how do you adjust the wheel bearings on a 72 Buick? So I'm not doing that, all right? So if the person is talking about something, but they're unclear or they raise the question in my mind, is that I like to, I will ask a question, and that's what it's all about, right? That's what you're there for. Well, I ask I ask questions, and they're not gotcha questions. They're, if, if you're going to say to me that this is the results you got, then I want to I know how did you, what was the metric you used? How did you test this? How did you, whatever. You can't just throw that at me. And then these people do these sem- these these people from the companies stand up, and uh, all they do is read from a PowerPoint. I mean, they could just put it up on the screen and have music playing in the background, and you could just read it. So all they do is read from a PowerPoint. So I was asking some pointed questions, like I said, tight, concise, not rambling, and uh, pertinent to what the person was talking about. And then after my third or fourth question. The, the sales manager who knows me for many years, and there's 200-something people there, and I'm sitting in the front, comes up, which he's not giving the talks, all right? These different company representatives are giving the talks and looking right at me, but obviously not standing right in front of me, but <laughs> looking right at me in front of 200 people, says, we can't, uh, how did he say it? We have to stop uh, asking questions and uh, because it's... I, I, I was so taken back by it because he because uh, he sh- yeah we he shut me down and and he's saying this and if you want to do that I mean I've done something I've done things like that we had people that were talking in the cl- when he's running a class or they're jerking around or they're joking around with each other and I would stand in the front and I'd be in front of the room obviously teaching a class and then I would say look okay I and I would make sure that I that when I addressed the audience and I was 
reprimanding them, right? But I was reprimanding them because they were legitimately doing something wrong, all right? Not asking questions. <laughs> the thing is, the unpertinent topics that are being discussed, right? I would make sure that I did not make stare at glare at a person or i have my head would be moving around be making eye contact with the whole class so this guy is standing up there he's basically looking right at me even though he's not right in front of me looking and say saying to something to the effect that you basically uh, i'll paraphrase it in a uh uh a little bit of a crude way which were not his words but you're screwing everything up by asking questions just sit there and shut the hell up and uh and that's it so so about five or six farmers came up to me guys i didn't even know and they said they said he shut you down he shut you down and you had excellent questions so the point of the matter is that if you're going to a seminar and the speaker the speakers at the sound which i have to respect there wasn't the, the people speakers who sh- who shut me down it was the sales manager from the from Growmark fs shut me down which was in very poor taste he could have come over to me and said right just don't ask so many questions because you get whatever whatever and i wasn't asking a zillion questions uh but if you go to a seminar and they don't want you to ask any questions then you should be very suspect of the quality of that seminar or the motives that they have. And the thing is that if 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 their motives are just to give a sales presentation and not when that which is fine, I understand it's a sales presentation because they're trying to they're trying to have you buy their fertilizer or their seed or whatever. But if they had any salesmanship or any knowledge or or human knowledge whatsoever, it's well documented that the person who does not ask any questions and not not busting somebody's chop questions, but pertinent technical questions. If nobody asks any questions, they're not buying anything. And you could study Zig Ziglar, and Zig Ziglar is what I learned that from. And you know, he says if you know the the person that has no questions is never buying anything. So you stand up and say, well, this is you know this is the greatest tractor in the world. Oh yeah, it's the greatest tractor in the world. And you don't ask ask anything about it. You're never buying one. You're just letting the guy ramble on, and he's wasting his time. So I was very disappointed but i thought it was so uh uh ironic that so many farmers that i didn't even know came up to me i said i can't believe that he shut you down that way i can't believe that he said that so but that is so use that and idle chatter farm machinery digest radio my website is not that way you ask me what you need to understand now it doesn't so so if you say to me well how does an engine work and uh, i say okay fine this is the basics of it but here's some good books to read or something but the fact of the matter is is that if you have a pertinent question if you have something because also i know in education that it's a stair step that it's layer upon layer that if you don't understand one aspect of it then you cannot understand the rest of it and lots of times you can't even understand backwards going back from that particular point so uh, very disappointed in that and very disappointed in the ideology of grow mark fs that just wants you to uh, not ask any questions just to get out your checkbook and buy stuff and shut the heck up but i will say one thing the food was excellent fantastic roast beef it was fantastic fantastic roast beef mashed potatoes string beans 
the dinner rolls, fantastic. It was a fantastic, fantastic lunch. But I had to laugh because, I mean, I could care less. You're going to shut me down? Well, good, shut me down. It's to your loss and to you and the way you and the person just embarrassed themselves in front of. I'm not going to say two. Well, it was 200 people. Whether everybody gleaned that or not, I'm not going to say that they did or didn't. But people of consequence did did glean that and actually came up to me and was surprised. So that is that. We're 20 minutes into the show. Not that good, right? So anyway, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to. I'm going to try to educate you. And don't ask any questions. Shut, shut up. All right. <laughs> I'm going to educate you about carburetor icing. And you may say to yourself, well, uh, they haven't made carburetors for years. And that's true uh, as far as automotive or road vehicle applications. But there are still our carburetors. There's a, and there are still a lot of carburetors out there, carburetors on the farm, on older pieces of equipment, on trucks, carburetors on uh, lawn tractors, carburetors on snow blowers, and a whole myriad of different applications are still carbureted. But what we're going to be talking about is carburetor icing and how to identify it. And I don't know if you could really eradicate it, but Detroit metaphorically Detroit meaning the auto industry has done their best to eradicate it for years and uh to pretty good pretty good uh results but uh not a hundred percent so that is going to be the topic and hopefully I could deliver it to you succinctly and concisely but I will say again if you have any questions or any concerns please reach out to me at hot rod farmer at i was gonna say at gromark as hot farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and i'll send it over to gromark and i can tell you to shut you down but anyway all right what what has the the basis of this the, the fundamentals of this the foundation is understanding to a certain extent how a carburetor works and the carburetor works on a pressure differential. It's the atmospheric pressure on the float bowl. And that's why the float bowl always has a bowl vent. That vent is to allow atmospheric pressure to be applied to the gasoline that is in that bowl, that reservoir, versus so the, the atmos- atmospheric pressure versus the low pressure region, which will any any pressure that is lower than atmosphere is considered a vacuum. It's the the question is how much of a vacuum it is. So anything, not just in an engine, so anything that's below atmospheric pressure is a vacuum. And uh, and in the venturi, the throat of the carburetor, which is usually has a which has a venturi, and a venturi is an hourglass type of shape, and there's all different types. There's what they call boosters inside the venturi, which is a ring inside the hourglass shape. So the, the venturi looks like a hourglass, right? It's, it's larger, then it comes smaller in area, and then goes larger again, and that is the venturi effect and also the Bernoulli effect, and but we won't get off on on that right here and the purpose of the venturi is to speed up the airflow coming into the end and through the carburetor and when the airflow is sped up the pressure drops 
and that is what is called a vacuum as i said so now we have atmospheric pressure on the gasoline in the flow pole and we have this lower pressure region inside the carburetor we'll just say that all right and and since high pressure goes to low pressure what act what happens is that the gasoline is pushed through the circuits of the carburetor and that's how it gets fueled in the carburetor versus a fuel injection system which pressurizes the fuel and then opens a valve which is the pintle on the injector and the pressurized fuel escapes and goes and sprays so the carburetor works like you could say basically inversely of that so now regardless of what the atmospheric pressure is it's still going to be higher than the low pressure region in the venturi of the carburetor so that is why you could go from death valley up to a top of a mountain and the carburetor still functions albeit that its air fuel ratio is going to be off but still functions right because it's still going to have that pressure differential regardless of what it is and uh so what we have to look at and understand to 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 recognize carburetor icing is that when the air goes through the venturi of the carburetor and the, the pressure is dropped that the that the that the temperature of the air drops down well is lower I should say drops down is lower it's a more accurate way of saying something better english now what happens is that a perfect example of this and we all did this as kids and if you're younger and have children you may still be experiencing this with them but you go and you blow up a balloon right so you so if you go and your your breath is body temperature probably let's say close to 100 degrees right 98.79 around body temperature say 100 degrees arithmetic, and you blow up this balloon right and you hold the you hold the, the balloon tight right and so it, the air doesn't leak out and then you slowly let the air out and if you haven't done this then get one of your kids balloons and try it but we all did this as kids but we didn't understand the physics that was involved with it and the science and if you let if you let and you let the air out slowly and what's going to happen is you're going to hear it whistling and then you're also going to feel if you put it by your finger or your face or your hand you're going to feel that the air temperature as it escapes the balloon through this venturi because you're creating a restriction of venturi so the pressure in the balloon is higher than the pressure in atmosphere because you pumped it up right just like you pump up a tire it's above atmospheric pressure and as you let the air out slowly you're going to feel that the temperature drops so we byproduct of this effect is that it's going to lower the temperature of the air and we'll leave it at that all right that's concrete we don't need to go any more into the physics behind that so the same thing is happening in a carburetor so as the air speeds up so you have the air coming into the carburetor and as the air speeds up through the venturi the temperature is going to go lower just like it is coming out of the balloon so let's say arguably you have whatever 80 degree air coming into the carburetor there's going to be a temperature drop as it goes through the venturi so right at that particular point if you were to put a thermocouple in the narrowest part of the venturi then as the air is speeding up the temperature is going to drop okay so is it going to drop to 20 degrees from 80 degrees no but it's going to drop a substantial amount 
Now, the next thing is that what is happening inside the carburetor, so this pressure differential is going, and it is going to push, we say pulls fuel. Well, it's really a push and pull, I like to say, because the fuel is being pushed from the higher pressure on the float ball into the, and discharged in the lower pressure region, just like the balloon is as you're opening up and creating a venturity and letting the air escape. And then after that, the air is still moving, so once the fuel first gets pushed into the venturi and then gets pulled into the engine with this pressure differential so it's a it's it's really based more predominantly on a pressure differential it's being pushed into the engine but we like to say pulled into the engine because it's going from atmosphere into this cylinder so you're actually it's it's so it's more of a pull of uh, visually it's more of a pull effect but the 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 not the psychology the science behind it is more pushing than pull right so the thing is that so what's happening is that we're, we're introducing this fuel into this carburetor into the venturi now as the as gasoline to be a to be a viable fuel needs to change phase from and i've spoken about this many times on this show ad nauseum is that needs to change phase from a liquid to a what's called a rarefied form or a to become a vapor actually you would call it a gas something but i try not to use the word gas because that's a slang or a shortened version or shortened word we use to say gasoline like i need some gas all right so the thing is that but we're talking about a rarefied form it needs to turn to a vapor and the way it turns to a vapor is through heat and it's called the latent latent meaning it cannot be seen latent heat of vaporization and gasoline and it around the, the hotter it is the, the hotter the environment and the more of the percentage of gasoline phase changes and at 60 degrees fahrenheit that the phase change from a liquid form to a a vapor form is is very inefficient it's only about 50 percent all right so now what basically happens if you study and you know you wouldn't think all of this physics into carburetor icing right and if you study the latent heat of vaporization the phase change of the phase change of any liquid all right is even though it requires heat to phase change what is going to happen is that the phase change itself is going to reduce the temperature right where it is going where it is being converted and transitioning excuse me from a liquid to a vapor so it's going to have a and if you and if you think in simplistic terms and i always use that because i'm trying to make an analogy is that if you uh that is the way an air conditioner system works it's not using gasoline it's using a refrigerant but the but the refrigerant is being uh into the evaporator is being fed through an well today through what's called an orifice valve and is phase changing and that is what is causing it to have a cooling effect so in lots of ways a air conditioner system and a carburetor works the same or has same some elements of working the same it's the same physics so anyway 
So we can, now we have two effects happening inside the throat of the carburetor and they're both cooling effects we have the pressure differential we have the venturi effect which is lowering lowering the temperature of the air and then we're also introducing gasoline all right which is being which is being supplied through the venturi effect the pressure differential and this gasoline is starting is phase changing and through the latent unseen heat so it's not a blowtorch there right it's unseen heat latent heat of vaporization the phase change from a liquid because you have to remember when the carburetor is putting it into the throat of the uh, into the venturi it's still in liquid form albeit it's it's what is called atomized broken up into small particles but it's still in liquid so if you take a, a spray can whatever it may be carburetor cleaner and you spray it that's atomized so it's in liquid form but it's broken up into small particles so now we have the fuel there and that is phase changing and as it is phase changing it is lowering the temperature the heat is being consumed because remember heat if you if you think of the basic laws of thermodynamics that um the heat is going to be consumed but it's in thermodynamics says it's it's not consumed that it changes right so we are using that heat up and that heat is going to phase change the gasoline so in essence what is happening inside the carburetor is you have for then again i'm going to use the term for lack of better terms for for representation uh, purposes you have a mini refrigerator the refrigerator is is happening through the movement of the air, the venturi effect. No fuel yet, all right. Movement of the air. Think of a the balloon. There's no fuel in a balloon, right? And then you have the latent heat of vaporization, vaporization, which is the phase change of the gasoline. Okay, so that's happening. Whether it's 120 degrees outside, or whether it's 20 degrees below zero, it's outside. Okay. So we established that we have we have two dynamics here that are lowering the temperature inside the carburetor. Now, an engine needs fuel and it needs air, right? We talk about an air-fuel ratio, and we talk about the air that is coming into the carburetor, all right, through its throat, through its entry, and the air pressure that is the atmospheric pressure that is on the flow pole now everyone empirically knows uh that uh, and anecdotally right that that when air is has a lot of holds a lot of moisture it is very when air is very damp it's holding a lot of moisture and it and air has the ability to hold moisture that's why like for the people who live out west and they say well it's 120 degrees but uh, it's 120 degrees in arizona but then it was oh but it's a dry heat right versus uh, 90 degrees down in louisiana which is very very muggy all right so muggy when we say that the air is muggy that means it's holding a lot of moisture in it and if we say the air is dry it's holding very little moisture and then um that is read as a percent of humidity when it comes to a weather station or what have you and if you're a drag racer you say oh today is bad air it's lousy air and and why and what is lousy air it is air that is lousy air for a drag racer could be well true lousy air means it's hot and humid and not as lousy air if that's a qualifier metric means that it's hot 
but it doesn't have a lot of humidity. And good air is 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 cooler air, colder air with a with very little humidity. So why does the humidity come into play when you're a drag racer? And doesn't have to be a drag racer, it could be your farm tractor, but you're not looking at it under a microscope of tens and thousands of a second, right? Is that why does some days your engine, whatever it is on your farm tractor or your car or whatever, feel better than in other times is because the air temperature and the humidity have so much to do with it. Because the basic tenant of physics being that two things can't occupy the same place at the same time. So if you have air that is laden with a lot of moisture, a lot of humidity, then that is displacing oxygen molecules because air is about 20 is about 20%, 19, 20% oxygen and 2% or so other gases if those numbers are more or less right. But uh, it's like 20.8, so whatever. So we'll leave it at that. So the thing is that now, if you, the if the air has a lot of humidity, a lot of moisture in it, then that means it is oxid. It's it's going to be displacing some oxygen molecules. Plus, if the air is very hot, what's going to happen, regardless of its level of humidity, is that those oxygen. What you know, when it's hot out, do you want to stand right next to somebody? No, you want to get some space to, right? You want to have some more room. So what basically happens is that the oxygen molecules, regardless of the level of humidity will actually spread out and expand so we'll further reduce the oxygen content in the air that's going into the engine and if we so on hot muggy day a lot of humidity all right you need to introduce less fuel to create the desired air fuel ratio than you would on a day that has better air better air being drier and cooler so now let's get back to the to the carburetor and the carburetor icing so now you have these these two little these two elements that are dropping the temperature of the air inside the carburetor which is the venturi effect and the phase change latent heat of vaporization and now you introduce air that has a lot of humidity all right when you introduce air that has a lot of humidity it has a lot of moisture in it and what happens to moisture when it is below its freezing point well when it's below its freezing point it turns to ice and that is what is called carburetor icing and if anybody is a pilot and or has a background in aircraft or aviation is that with a piston engine that's carburetored all right is that they will have intake air heaters and these intake air heaters will will heat the air above the point for carburetor icing to occur because you have to remember when you're up at altitude the ambient temperature is dramatically dramatically lower than it is at 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 sea level we'll say or on the ground and then also we need to phase change this gasoline and not freeze the moisture out of it so so that is so anybody in aviation is is familiar with that but if you've never flown a plane in your life all right never been in a cockpit of a plane i never flew a plane in my life all right the thing is that you experience carburetor icing and you don't know it all right and this the so in essence to make it very 
uh, to bring some clarity to this, what is basically happening is that given the right weather conditions, which we will discuss, is that the two elements that are reducing the temperature inside the carburetor when mixed when and when when exposed to air with a high level of moisture in it a lot of humidity will actually cause ice to form inside the carburetor and this ice inside the carburetor will depending upon where the ice is occurring will cause a number of different effects and it will either be an idle stalling problem or it could be a cruise problem so there are two types of icing that happen inside a carburetor and one is called idle ideally like idle chatter idle icing and the other one as i said is called cruise icing and i will tell you how you could identify what is happening so let's say that you start status when i was a kid in school had a 68 dodge dots land six great motor but for whatever reason it was very very prone to carburetor idle icing so what would happen is that you would start the end it start the car i mean you that dot you looked at the key the thing started no matter how cold it was boom you set that choke you know, people say about carburetors i love carburetors if you got that carburetor set up properly it starts quicker than a fuel injected engine and why does it start quicker than a fuel injected engine because it has very little that pressure differential that god made is always there it doesn't have to say okay we have to reach 400 rpm then we got to turn the upholstery injector all this car we gotta wait for number one song that it's boom it's right there so anyway so what so what would happen and not only with my dart but it was common with with many but the dart for some reason my dart was very susceptible to it it's like my father used to be so susceptible to poison ivy so you'd start the you'd start the car up boom set the choke all right she'd start right up and you'd, and you'd drive it away and or let's say i never warmed up cars because i know it's not that's not good for it you drive it away very lightly to build to build temperature and build a uniform anyway but let's say you weren't that type of person you started up the car and we'll give you we'll give you a break here let's say there's ice in the windshield so you started up the car you're letting it idle you're out there you got the defrost drawn at this particular point it's still blowing cold there and you're out there with your scraper and you're scraping the windshield all right so this is i'm, I'm putting this together because this is a common scenario and now you, you're scraping the windshield and the car is up on on a carbureted car what would it do when it's on the choke the choke also has historically a fast idle cam so it's fast idling along with the choke and that's a whole show onto itself why it's doing that all right the thing basically um so it's fast idling and you're scraping the ice and mm, the engines you're running beautifully mm, then all of a sudden without you doing anything that you could hear that the rpm is starting to drop and it's starting to go slow so and then you could hear from the exhaust it's starting to chug and if you walked around to the so now instead of being let's say 12 or 1300 rpm now it's down to six or seven hundred rpm all right which all right even though the choke is on still on the fast idle cam and then and then it starts to drop below that and if you go around to the back of the car you hear the exhaust chugging and then starting to blow some black smoke and then it flames out it stalls so now 
what you do is you put your, I'm doing this scenario for a reason, you put your ice scraper down, you walk over to the driver's side, you get into the car, you, you, you go to start the car, uh, start the engine, you're starting the car, right? That's where you're starting the engine, the car itself doesn't start. I'm beating myself up at semantics, and boom, it starts right up and it runs fine. So you say, what the heck is going on? All right, whatever, it's cold out, maybe you're making up some science that's, that's bogus in your mind, right? So now you go back out, it's fine on the fast idle, it's running, right? Maybe it's down one step, one notch on the fast idle, not quite as fast, then you're scraping the ice and you're getting the engine, and now the same damn scenario is happening again, it's starting to slow down, the, the, the RPM is degrading, 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 and all of a sudden, chugging, blowing some black smoke, all right, and flames out. She said, what the heck? Oh, my God. Am I going to break down going to work? There? Whatever it may be, right? So now you go back in and you start it up. And now at this particular point, it's running. You, The windshield is clear enough for you to go. And you drive away to wherever your destination is. And the car runs beautifully. does everything right. The heater is beautiful. Comes off of fast idle. Fine. It's idling beautiful. Nothing wrong. Or another scenario, there is no ice that day right you go and you start the car it starts right up you drive away and and this could be a farm tractor too all right but i'm using a car because it's a better visual all right you start the car you drive away all right you go to, uh, you get to the first whatever you're in town if you if you lived out on the farm and you got on the road and you went 50 miles an hour all right for two miles you probably never experienced this unless you were scraping the windshield or left the car idling and now you're in new york city right with the slow traffic and you come and you come to a stoplight or a stop sign and then all of a sudden or you take your foot off the gas to come to the stop sign and woo, the car shuts right off. So, oh my God, right? You go start to turn the key, boom, the engine starts right up and you drive away and no, to no detriment, all right? All right, so what basically happened there is that carburetor icing can occur with temperatures as high, ambient temperatures outside, right? 55 degrees, that's 23 degrees above the freezing point of water. But how did that air get down to, of course it would have to be below freezing, right? Below 32 F to cause ice. So if the ambient temperature is 55 degrees, how did the air get that cold? Well, let's say 30 degrees in the carburetor, all right it was because the latent heat of vaporization and the venturi effect so carburetor icing can occur as high as 55 56 degrees so like a spring day spring morning you say it's nice or a fall morning it's not going to happen in the summertime when it's 80 75 degrees all right and down to about 13 or 14 degrees so you say well you would think the carburetor icing would be worse at zero well what basically happens is that when you get down in most environments, when you get down below around 12, 13, 14, this is not exact. It could be 10 degrees, it could be 15 degrees, depending upon other conditions in the weather. But it's a basic uh, uh, rule of thumb around 13 degrees is that the air, the oxygen molecules, remember when they got hot, they expanded? Well, they closed up so tightly that its water holding capacity diminishes 
dramatically. That's why I know, and if you live up in Montana or Idaho or the Dakotas or Canada, where some people say it's too cold to snow, right? And you know that that's really not, that it is the case, but it's different for a different reason. So, but for our purposes is that when the air gets to be around 13 degrees F, it's water holding capacity drops down dramatically so it is less humid inside the carburetor so if it's less humid the ice cannot form so anywhere between so the sweet spot for carburetor icing is probably around 30 degrees to around 45 or 50 degrees with a high level of humidity now why does the car the engine stall i keep saying and we had a, a farm tractor that was very prone to this we have whatever and, and you'll keep this in mind because if you have a snow blower all right or you're running a uh well you wouldn't be running an irrigation pump in the winter but you're you're feeding cattle with a gasoline powered tractor whatever, whatever is gasoline powered i'm not going to sit here and try to think of the different aspects of that you would find on the farm with the gasoline and the carburetor all right but is that so let's have that scenario you're outside scraping the ice the engine is running fine and then all of a sudden the rpm starts to drop and then it starts to chug blow black smoke flame out by the time you put your ice scraper down get back into the car turn the key the engine fires right up well what basically happening that is called idle icing and idle icing has is identified as the ice forming on the throttle plate of the carburetor and when it forms on the throttle plate of the carburetor, it actually effectively acts as the throttle plate being larger or the throttle stop screw being backed out. So it is not, so as the ice starts to form, it's allowing less air to pass the throttle plate. And that's why the RPM is dropping because it would be just like you taking the idle speed screw and backing it out. All right, back and then just hit the, hit the uh, soundboard here, but backing it out. All right. And then once it backs out, once not backs out, once there's enough ice to form, there's no air getting into the engine. So that is why it chugs first as it's still getting some air, blows black smoke because that pressure differential is still putting the gasoline into the engine all right and then shuts right off or the other scenario is when you drove out out of your driveway or into the first stoplight it was running fine you took your foot off the throttle and boom it flames right up because at that particular point the ice was forming on the throttle plate but the throttle plate was open enough all right, was unshrouded enough from the bore of the carburetor that the engine was running fine. But when you released the throttle plate, it was like, it was effectively, it was like, it was too large. I don't want to say, it was like the idle stop screw, the idle speed screw fell out. So the throttle closed all the way and the engine shuts right off. Boom, no more air. Ready? Then you say, well, why does it start so quickly and run fine? Well, it only takes, of because that ice is not that thick, it only takes of maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 seconds for that ice to melt. So on idle icing, by the time you go and restart the car, or lots of times a person will put their foot a little bit on the throttle, or it, vroom, it starts right up, it's like a non-event. It's like it never happened, all right? So that is idle icing. And uh, 
And that's a combination of, and if you look at from probably from the late 60s on, cars had had heat riser valves, all right, uh, to put heat underneath the carburetor to help vaporize the fuel and to, and to eliminate icing. It had, it had that ducted air off the exhaust manifold with that uh, corrugated type of hose and a flapper in the, in the air filter assembly for it to, to close off when it was cold and breathe and have some heat come in there. Now, eventually, and what I mean eventually, is that after you go from the intermediate stage to the fully warm stage of the engine, there is enough thermal inertia thermal inertia means heat traveling by itself without any anything forcing it all right so there's enough thermal inertia hot going to cold from the engine on underneath the hood the carburetor itself is warmed up from the engine warming up and running at operating temperature that the phenomena even though the air may still be be filled with the ambient air may be filled with moisture and uh, be cold but by the time it gets in the carburetor the ambient environment of the carburetor that temperature drop is still happening but it's happening it's happening in a different range so if it's dropping from so it's still dropping all right through the venturi and through the phase change but not enough to cause ice all right and that is so that is very very common common today it's common it's probably even more common with ethanol based fuels because ethanol has the ability to wick in more moisture all right so that is uh and that's one of the dynamics of it it's a little bit more complex than that but that's the that is the uh that's so ethanol does have the ability to bring in moisture but forget about it this has been a phenomenon before ethanol there was no ethanol so i'm not blaming ethanol for it so that is idle icing and the engine will start right back up relatively quickly on a snow blower it may not if you left it idling because it doesn't have it's still because it's an open frame engine but ultimately once the engine has enough thermal transfer so you're blowing snow and then you let it idle it's not going to ice the carburetor because the carburetor body itself has become much warmer than the ambient temperature now all right so that's that now on an airplane we're not worried about idle icing because you're not idle ice you're not idling the engine up at 30,000 feet or 20,000 feet now like i always say everything in my life is a story and when i was a young man i experienced had a lot of experience with idolizing and and uh on my dodge dot on uh a farm tract we had an oliver farm tract that had a hand choke but still if you let it it would ice the carburetor even updraft carburetor what have you other applications and there's nothing wrong with it uh you let it you let it melt for 10 to 20 seconds or just hold the throttle up a little bit higher get some heat and it'll be it'll run like a baby all right now years ago when i had my shop and i i got engaged to my wife well she became my wife i well when i met charlotte i had a a, a brand new lincoln mark 7 lsc gorgeous car and ultimately the backstory is i ended up selling it it was only a couple of years old to buy an engagement ring right typical car guy story the car goes away for the girl right so uh buy buy an engagement ring and i sold the lincoln and it was well i sold it in 93 so it was two years old and uh got engaged well i shouldn't i shouldn't say that 
because I got engaged in the car, but I wanted to replace the money I spent for the ring. That's probably a more accurate way of me saying it. So anyway, and uh, got engaged in the Lincoln and then sold the Lincoln. I sold it to a customer of mine. The car was drop-dead gorgeous, not because it was mine. Garnet red LSC, the thing ran like a bear. Um and loved it. I did a little bit of tweaking to it and uh, had uh, titanium colored upholstery factory, BBS wheels. Beautiful, beautiful car. But anyway, took that to Bonneville Salt Flats, took it all over the place. That's before I met Charlotte. But anyway, so, but took it all over the place with her also. And uh, I bought, I wanted for the shop, I, bu- I wanted a pickup truck. So, but I, I wasn't gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna buy a piece of junk because I was gonna use it only to go from the farm to the shop, which was about twenty-five or thirty miles, and then use it for the shop. Throw engines in the back, what have you. And uh, I had an. So whatever, it was just practical. But I don't want to spend a lot of money, right? Because hey, I'm gonna be a married man. And uh, if there's any girls listening, please forgive me. Put your fingers in ears. Girls are expensive. Women and wives are expensive. They're not. So anyway, so we'll leave it at that. But so I, I had seen down the road from my shop along the side of the highway, this yellow S10. And uh, the thing looked like it belonged to a power company or railroad at some time. It was an '83 S10, so this so this was in this was, was actually it was probably actually in retrospect it wasn't that old. It was only ten years old, but it it, it was it, it was whatever. I mean, it didn't really have any rust. It had some dings and dents and chips on it, and uh, it was a Strippo Strippo S10 short bed S10 two-wheel drive real oddball combination had a two liter not a 2.5 there's a lot of 2.5s out there four songs it was a two liter which was a chevy cavalier engine that was modified to to have it go uh north and south instead of east and west for rear wheel drive because the cavalier was front wheel drive and it had a 700 r4 in it so it was a two liter with a 700 r4 and somebody must have done something to the transmission at one particular point and they most likely had the wrong torque converter and it was too tight the thing was a dog i mean you could have you could have ran a uh a, a kid on a tricycle would have beat you the first 60 foot away from a stop stop stoplight anyway i bought it for a thousand bucks and uh went through the whole truck brakes this that did some front end work tuned it up put new tires on it had these skinny little tires i put cooper Co- Co- cooper cobra gts a little bit fatter wider with white letters and it had the dog dish up it actually looked kind of tough it looked, it looked kind of cool today back then they'd say they'd say it had patina on it well this was actual patina <laughs> but uh and excuse me and uh I drove it back and forth for a number of years, and the back and forth, and uh, it served its purpose uh, for me being in, in preparation to becoming a married man. So, uh, and uh, was and it, it was it was good. I mean, the interior wasn't bad. What was nice about the truck, though, is the truck wasn't butchered up. So when you open, that was what made me buy it. It had no rust, but the, you know, lots of times you get those. 80s 70s and 80s vehicles with a lot of mission controls and they got the vacuum hose busted off and this is the truck was not butchered up underneath the hood it was all there uh the, the underneath the hood actually looked better than the body so what happened was that i'm 
I started to have some problems with it as the weather turned colder. And I was going to Michigan. To, I was going to uh, take a class up at Bonal Technologies, uh, the metal axe machine that I that I bought, which is subharmonic vibrational stress relief. I did a show about that a long time ago, but I may revisit that because it was so early in the days of idle chatter. And I uh, was going to Michigan. It was a Sunday. The class was going to be a. It was a. Oh, that was a two. No, was I going to? I was going to Michigan. I don't know what class I was taking. I don't think I was taking a. I think I was taking an engine machine. No, whatever makes no difference. I know I took the Lincoln to the engine machine school of Dana Corporation. So I was going to Bonal. So I'm. uh, So now I left the farm. I'm on Route 80 going west. It's a Sunday morning, in the fall. It was probably about 40, 45 degrees sunny seemed sun- i mean it was sunny i don't know what the humidity was and i'm riding out really truckers running fine like i said she was a dog but you i mean she goes 70 75 miles an hour down the highway once she got going take you a year to get there it's like a locomotive but you get i mean it, i was going the speed limit all right 65 and uh, 65 70 with it rolling up and down the hills on route 80 it's very rolly there and uh and all of a sudden out of the blue truck ran fine for like an hour and a half two hours i'm maybe 120 miles from the farm the truck starts to lose power it's losing power and uh it's keep it's slowing down i mean no matter what i do i gotta keep feeding it more throttle throttle so basically went from six probably within a couple of minutes went from 65 miles an hour all right down to five miles per hour you're putting you you got the thing matted it, it it just basically off idle i'm on a, obviously on the shoulder of the road say what the heck is going on here right and then i release the throttle thing runs beautiful idle go to rev it up it won't rev up so i said what the heck is it's starving for fuel what's going on so anyway so i jump out of the truck pop the hood and uh the motor's idling and looking looking you know can't say anything right can't say anything uh shut the engine off and uh i still have the hood open shut the engine off i said let me go take the air cleaner off and the reason why i wanted to shut the engine off because it was a four cylinder that have harmonics and i don't want to lose the wing nut and you have to take these vacuum hoses off and whatever so i want to take the air cleaner off look see if i can say anything can't say anything put the air cleaner back on said all right let me go start it up start up vroom she starts revving up vroom 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 running fine beautiful right i go get back whoa i don't know what's going on right i get get to my class in michigan i got a long way to go yeah i'm still in pennsylvania go maybe another half hour 45 minutes and same thing happens so i said what the heck is going on here so i pulled to the side of the road I shut the truck off, look back underneath the hood just for grins and giggles because I got to do something right. I can't sit there like some, some, uh, some, you know, oh, I got to call AAA, right? <laughs> so uh, look underneath the hood, close the hood, get back in the truck, runs fine. Truck runs to Michigan beautifully, runs home beautifully. Well, I don't want to go through the saga with that because I had it happen many other times. And with that car, what I was experiencing was what you what a pilot will experience in aircraft was called cruise icing not idle icing cruise icing and what basically happens is the same phenomena 
uh, occurs where you have the temperature drop, but instead of the ice forming on the throttle plate, the ice is forming in the venturi of the carburetor and is actually blocking the passage that is exposed to the venturi, wherever it happens to be in that carburetor, the transfer slot, and where you're going to bring fuel from the main metering circuit and the power enrichment circuit. So in essence, the carburetor or the engine is running on the idle circuit alone. So it gets a coating of ice in the throat of the carburetor and is basically plugging off the low it's at the low pressure region in the venturi because the other than the accelerator pump the rest of the carburetor functions the same way on the pressure differential all right so that so it blocks that off like you're putting a piece of duct tape over the port and the idle transfer slot and and depending upon the carburetor but basically in essence it it plugs off the power enrichment and the main metering circuit but the ice did not form on the throttle plate the ice formed because the throttle plate was open enough the ice formed and blocked the main metering circuit and power enrichment so the engine i'm repeating again is running on the idle circuit and as the ice started to form just like we were saying about with the idle icing that the rpm starts to drop you start to lose power because you're going leaner and leaner and leaner and once that main metering circuit is completely shut off with ice then that's when it dropped down to five miles per hour that's why it idled fine and did everything fine but would not rev up and made no power because the whole main metering circuit was not the main metering circuit thought the engine was off because it was seeing no pressure differential right and that's what happens in an airplane now now i had it had a heat riser valve that uh, that kind of quasi worked i guess right there was a vacuum operator one it seemed to work without taking the manifold off uh and it had the hot air ducted from the air cleaner the door in the air cleaner worked all right but what i think was happening because it was only a two liter engine in this large engine bay that there was not enough of a rise in ambient temperature all right to allow the parts to get warm enough i'm not going to say hot warm enough to stop this uh, this cruise icing from occurring but it took me quite some time to figure that out and i learned a lot about cruise icing interestingly enough that truck never suffered from idle icing it suffered from cruise icing and subsequently and even prior to that any engine that i had a carburetor icing issue with was from was idolizing never had a cruise icing issue before so keep that in the back of your mind and the key basically is remember temperature was only about 42 43 degrees it was way 10 or 12 degrees above freezing it seemed like a nice day to me but i'm in a truck with the heater on i mean it wasn't raining it was a sunny day but there was enough humidity in the air with the dynamics for that temperature to drop and create ice in that throat of that carburetor and that's what happens on aircraft and that's what could happen to you let's say you're using an older gasoline tractor to feed cows or to do something on the farm or you have a utv or you have anything right now keep in mind that 
as I start to wrap this up, is that I said that there was two elements inside a carburetor that allowed the ice to occur, whether it be idle icing or cruise icing, and that was the Venturi effect of the carburetor and then the phase change of the gasoline. But if you look at most fuel injection systems, all right, they have they run engine coolant through the throttle body. And the reason why they run engine coolant through the throttle body, they're fuel injected, they're port injected, right? There's no fuel there. Is that on that you could add very rare, but for you, for the listeners that are up in the very cold or the cold regions, I shouldn't say very cold because then again, the amount of humidity in the air drops off dramatically. But even though there is no phase change in the throttle body, that when the throttle plates are only open a certain amount, it's going back to what I said with the balloon, right? The Venturi. So if you have the throttle open a certain amount, the air is rushing past that. It is a quasi-Venturi effect. It's a restrictive effect instead of a Venturi effect. A Venturi member is like an hourglass, like an hourglass shape, all right? So uh, the ideal shape of, a, of, of when we grew up, when I grew up, of a woman, we'll leave it at that. All right, hour you should say, oh, my mother said, Oh, that girl has an hourglass figure. All right, beautiful. She said, Look at the beautiful the girl's beautiful figure, hourglass, right? Marilyn Monroe. So the thing basically is is that you could actually have ice forming on a dry flow system simply because of the air rushing past that throttle plate at low engine speeds. So you could so you can ice up the throttle plate on a efi engine all right specifically if you're letting it sit and idle to warm up to scrape the windshield using that scenario all right you're not going to have a cruise icing effect because even if you did have some ice form there all right it's not going to affect anything because the cruise icing remember is not affecting the airflow the cruise icing is actually closing off the sensing port the sensing passage for the main metering system to the venturi if that makes sense so as i get ready to close carburetor icing is a phenomena that is very real is still uh, still around today all right uh on any carbureted engine has that potential on idle icing the ice is growing on the throttle plate and and is presenting as if you took the throttle stop screw the idle speed screw and and throw it away so the throttles when you release the throttle it is closed all the way or as the engine is idling it is cutting off the air cruise icing does not affect the throttle plate it is icing that is formed in the throat of the carburetor we'll say the venturi of the carburetor and is blocking off the sensing passage the passage that senses the low pressure region so that the fuel in the flopo may be pushed through the and through the main metering circuit to rich in, to give the engine enough fuel to rpm now if keep it let i'm going to leave it at that because lots of times that that circuit is not right there but what have you all right but it's still having the same dynamic effect right so the thing is that's why if you look at a carburetor it has a boost or a ring that's the fuel discharge it's sensing it and it's discharging the fuel there so that is the two dynamics they're both ice forming 
aircraft has cruise icing all right most ground-based vehicles has idle icing but can and that could kick your tushy really bad because and the reason why when you shut the engine off so your key is that be out you going crazy if you shut the engine off wait 20 30 40 50 seconds whatever not an hour all right 15 20 seconds the ice melts and the problem completely disappears then you know you are you are facing an an icing issue and you need to look at the dynamics that are bringing heat into the throat of the carburetor or that that region all right so it's very very uh very important for you to understand that and uh the dynamics that cause icing to occur all right so that is something that that i wanted to go over with you and that could happen to a snowblower it could happen to a lawn tractor right you could have a lawn tractor did you have a snow did you have a a snowblower on or a blade you used to put to a garden tractor it could happen to anything all right it's not going to happen to a diesel because the dynamics of a diesel are completely different but it's not going to happen to it it's not going to happen to a diesel now keep in mind that a modern tier 4 diesel like a pickup truck has a throttle plate all right but usually there's enough heat there that it may stall once of even that and then it's not going to ever do it's not going to do it again because there's enough residual heat but it is the temperature drop inside that carburetor and as an aside before i get ready to close here is that if you ever ran a carbureted engine on a dyno and i'm not saying it and it's 100 i'm not saying 100 degree day but if it's a if it's a cooler day and you run or you have uh well i would say a boat but most of the time people go out on boats in the summertime when it's warm but if you make a pull on a dyno and you have a carbureted engine on a dyno on an engine dyno you will actually <clears throat> frost over the intake manifold runners and that is the phase change of the gasoline the latent heat of vaporization from it phase changing is dropping the temperature in the runners and that is why a carbureted engine or if you have an if you're doing a dyno pulse on a nitrous engine you really see depending upon where you have the uh the orifices they call them the pills the nozzles for the nitrous you really see that sucker face change and and frost over those runners but keep that in mind during and i'll reiterate one more time so from from around 38 to 40 degrees to about 55 degrees at high humidity is more or less the sweet spot for carburetor icing but it could happen down to around 10 or 13 degrees and as high as 55 almost 60 degrees and the only thing i want to say before i go is that if i did an article on my website if you go to my website farmmachinerydigest.com and then go to the click on the learn tab and then look under collector corner all right you can look on the other days but on the collector corner i have an article uh, with some pictures and some illustrations all about carburetor icing and i suggest you go there and you look at it why is it under the collector corner section simply because i didn't put it under the learn tab because it was specific to carbureted engines and even though as i said there's newer carbureted engines on lawn tractors snow blowers what have you is that i just felt that i would have it would be better placement on the collector corner right so 
that is it. So you may want to check that out. So I want to thank you so much for uh, for listening to me today. And I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer's poem for you, the American farmer and rancher, my beloved, beloved America. And now you know the rest of the story of what's happening with that ice in the carburetor. Once it gets warm enough under there, it's all over. No worries. Take care. Bye-bye.